Today on Government Matters, the number three leader at the Pentagon prepares to transition out as her job is eliminated. Chief Management Officer Lisa Hirschman is here. A new face at the front of the Inspector General's Council. New Chair Allison Lerner and outgoing Chair Michael Horowitz on the transition at SIGI. And the number one story of the week, 2020 is over. A look ahead at the new year that can't possibly be worse than this one. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The latest National Defense Authorization Act gets rid of a Pentagon office that's gotten credit for $37 billion in savings for the military. The current chief management officer says she hasn't been asked to testify before Congress about the office's savings or operations. Lisa Hirschman is the chief management officer at the Department of Defense and maybe the last one. Lisa, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, you said recently that $37 billion number went straight to the warfighter. Give me some examples, if you can, about how that money has gone from fourth estate accounts and reform efforts to the tip of the spear. Sure. As a, as a matter of fact, the $37 billion was from DOD-wide, so that included the military services as well. And my role is charged with finding the money. I then turn it over to Comptroller, and they look at what the highest priority needs are and assign that money or shift that money to those needs. As way of ex uh, By way of example, hypersonics investment is a big priority for DOD, and I know that some of our money went directly to investing in hypersonics research. But even from my own uh, team's abilities and efforts, we've looked at contracts and have been able to get more for less. For example, we have a contract for um, military equipment, and we were able to keep the value of the contract the same, but get 26 additional units. And so that, again, went right to and had a direct impact on the warfighter. Some of these contracts that we've renegotiated actually took two, three, and four years off of implementation time so that our men and women who are on the front lines fighting get more advanced equipment that they can use and not wait up to four years in order to take advantage of those uh, advances. So those are just some of the examples of what we've been able to accomplish. You've been pretty adamant and pretty outspoken as long as a year ago you and I talked about this issue at the Reagan Forum, talking about the successes that you have had, that you believe that you've had in your tenure as the CMO. That's now a moot point, it appears. What do you think a structure looks like that's successful that could do the same thing in a new administration, in the new construct that Congress has created for the Defense Department, Lisa? I will tell you, I am deeply concerned about the construct that has been uh, put forward, primarily because it has proven to have failed in the past. A, a lesser role with lesser authority had a run for 10 years and could only produce about $7 billion across those 10 years in less than three years. And again, remember, we haven't even hit our three-year anniversary of the stand-up of the CMO, that $37 billion validated by Comptroller, by GAO, is significant. And the, the secret to that success was taking private sector 
uh, expertise, which they called for specifically in the law, and applying it to DOD, which we have done. It also requires a level of authority. Uh, right now, the role is at the number three position at DOD. It can't be done uh, without that level of authority. And that's not unique to DOD. I saw that with all of my clients and my own personal experience in the private sector, which is close to 30 years of doing this, and uh, it can't happen without that level of authority. Look, reform is hard, and you have to make some tough decisions, and if you don't have the authority behind it, it's not gonna happen. We succeeded despite the fact that we never had a charter, we never had funding for this, and we're still able to put you know, five times the amount of savings in under three years that others couldn't achieve in 10. Uh, you know, the way they had it was working and we proved that they just uh, stopped paying attention to the traje trajectory and the results, the validated results. I don't know what level of discussion you've had with President-elect Biden's transition team, Lisa, but I'm paraphrasing from the Defense News report about this. All duties and responsibilities of CMO's office dispersed among different officials as directed by the Secretary of Defense. Is there anything, to your knowledge, to prevent uh, Secretary nominee Austin, if he's confirmed as the Secretary of Defense, from creating a similar role with a different name, where all of that authority is concentrated and reports to him, the construct could be the same, um, but compliant with the legislation and, and get the similar or same results. I think there is an opportunity to do that. In fact, there have been a lot of uh, suggested formats to continue to keep the role at the authority level that it currently has. And like you said, maybe call it something different. As a matter of fact, GAO repeatedly has suggested that two DEPSEC DEFs be created, one to look at readiness, lethality, uh, foreign relations, the alter ego of the secretary, while the other DEPSEC DEF role would focus on operations and management and enablement of the services. So that's one example that would continue the success by maintaining the proper level of authority. Apply your consultant uh, hat, your knowledge, experience to the question that I've asked a number of people about OSD over the last five years. Have we reached a point where there are so many changes on an annual basis that it becomes impossible to determine whether things are working the way that they were originally intended? The ATL job is different now, split into two. Your job was changed and then changed again. Have we hit that point where it's becoming impossible to know whether things are working? Yes. As a matter of fact, every even small businesses are given a three to five year trajectory to see if they are able to make it. And we've not been given that same opportunity. And it's very difficult. Let me give you an example is uh, previous NDAAs gave these chief management officer and the organization authority over uh, business systems within about four months of us taking that on and really getting the infrastructure put in place and getting the staffing put in place and some level of budget, it was already being written out. And so, yes, it becomes a very difficult task when those kind of changes continue to be made and you don't even get a chance to accomplish anything. Let me add on top of that is 
Congress gives a lot of input on structure, but never talks about expected outcomes. And so, what you know, you, you uh, and, and my role is is included in that. OMB set targets, which we've beaten every single year, but there is this. Uh, this divide or this gap between what's expected and yet what's put in place. They keep focusing on putting in place an infrastructure with no accountability, no outcomes, nothing uh, that they are asking you to achieve. And so I don't understand how the structure is ahead of expected outcomes. Lisa Hirschman, 20 seconds left. What's on your agenda for January 21st? Well, you know what? I haven't even thought about that yet. There are still so many important things to take across the finish line, make sure that we've got the infrastructure put in place to continue some of the great work. I still have six, uh, $6.2 billion that I'm ready to book for FY22, all through reform, Not a, with very few cuts, we've gotten away from that draconian approach. And I still want to book that before I go. Before I go, and so getting across the finish line with a huge success for the team is what matters to me. Thanks very much, Lisa. Up next, a new leader for the government's inspectors general. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what's next for the IG community and the agencies they watch? You're watching ABC Seven. The Council of Inspectors General will have new leadership in 2021. The longtime chair of SIGI is stepping away from the top job and his longtime deputy is taking over. Allison Lerner is the new chair of the council. She's inspector general at the National Science Foundation. Michael Horowitz is the outgoing chair. He's the IG at the Justice Department. Michael, why is now the right time for you to transition out of SIGI as the chair at least? Well, after six years in the job and picking up along the way the responsibility for being the acting chair of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee back in April, um, it seemed like the right time to uh, make a move given my term ends uh, at the end of this month. Um, and fortunately, as you indicated, I have a long time outstanding deputy vice chair working with me, Allison Lerner. We did everything together over the last six years. Um, she was willing to step into the role, and so it was the right time to move on and, and let her focus on SIGI and my focus on the pandemic response, oversight responsibilities, along with, obviously, my day job at DOJ Inspector General. Allison, welcome. It's good to talk to you again. As Michael said, you've been his deputy for a long time. Why is taking on this responsibility important to you? Well, I've been a member of the IG community for it'll be 30 years this summer. And our mission has always been important, you know, being independent and nonpartisan fact finders. You know, it was important in 1991, but it's more important than ever right now. And so it meant the world to me to be able, having learned from six, for six years at the, you know, with, from the master, to be able to, to take the torch from him and stand up for our community and, and lead it for at least the next two years. Allison, since you're going to be the leader, I'll ask you this, but Michael, I want your input as well. What can SIGI do as an organization for the IG community in the future that maybe it's not doing today or that it's not doing as much of as you would like? One of our real goals is to be able to provide services to our community that help 
enhance their independence. And so oversight.gov, the platform that it's built on, has enabled us now to start offering the capacity to build websites for inspector for OIGs so they can be independent from their agencies and, and control their own website. That's a start. We want to get to the point where we can host email systems. So we're independent again from our agencies and where we can potentially down the road have contracting officers so that we can, instead of people, especially smaller OIGs having to rely on contract contracting officials in their own agencies, who sometimes they have to oversee, we can have that capacity hosted within SIGI um, to enable folks to, to procure the contracts that they need, but, and then in, in, have the independence they need to oversee their own agencies. So those are just a few of the things that we're thinking about right now, long-term. Michael, you and I have spoken on a number of occasions on the air and off the air about the, your view of the importance of the independence of the IG community. Is that where you see the biggest opportunity for SIGI to continue uh, to help IGs across government in that independence, independent capacity building effort that Allison described? Uh, it is, and it's certainly one of the things that Alice and I worked together on over the last six years um, in making sure that um, we were advancing the independence, but also the transparency efforts through oversight.gov and other mechanisms, because really our independence is enhanced when we are able to get our work product out to the public, when our, um, when our efforts are transparent, because the more people see about what we do um, and the oversight efforts and, and how they advance um, the government and make programs more effective, um, that's where we get our support. We don't just get support um, because we're in these jobs. We get the support because of the work we're doing. And I think, you know, one of the things we've got to continue to do, and, and we see legislation pending in the Hill, um, on the Hill in these areas, is enhance our um, independence in the sense of um, greater protections for uh, IG efforts. Um, as well as ensuring that those who are selected to be IGs and those who are put in in acting capacities um, are fully independent and able to carry out the responsibilities of the IG community. What is the right role, Michael, for SIGI moving forward to be an advocate for the IG community to organizations like Congress, to, organization, uh, to positions like the leaders of agencies across government as a group rather than just one individual IG working with one individual agency leader if there is such a role? Um, I do think that what we've learned as a community over the last five, six, seven years, particularly um, when we were able to move forward and get past the IG um, Empowerment Act back in 2016 is how much louder we can speak as a community working together rather than as 75 individual voices, um, because there are 75 federal IGs that comprise SIGI now. Um, and it's our responsibility to bring the community together, speak with one voice on the Hill, and I think the Hill expects that also now from SIGI, um, that we will be there to represent the community um, and represent um, the uh, from, from a legislative standpoint, but also simply from an advocacy standpoint more broadly about open recommendations, for example. And one of the things that we're going to be launching shortly on Oversight.gov is allowing the public to see what our open recommendations are to improve government programs, to save the taxpayers money, um, and to see how old they are. they are, the aging of those recommendations, um, which hopefully will ensure um, that those recommendations are 
implement it in a more prompt way. Um, so I think we've got to do a number of things, not just advocating for legislation, but advocating for our work, I would say, by um, getting that work out there and letting the public know what we've done and um, how we intend to move it forward. Michael Horowitz, Allison Lerner, much more I'd like to cover, but we're out of time. Thanks both very much for joining me. I appreciate Great. it. Thank Thanks, you. Up next, the number one story of the week. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the end of 2020. Finally, a look back and a look ahead. You're watching ABC7. Now the number one story of the week. 2020 is over, finally. David Hawkins is editor-in-chief of The Fulcrum. David, welcome. It's great to see you again. Dig into your memory banks. Try to help me remember, in the years that you and I have been in Washington, has there ever been a year as nuts as 2020, my friend? Not even, not even close. Not <laughs> even close. You know, maybe, maybe the year that uh, the Congress went Republican for the first time in 40 years, that was 1995. Uh, that created a lot of, you know, there were government, we, we got reintroduced to government shutdowns. We got reintroduced to all kinds of brinkmanship and partisan stuff, but that doesn't even come close to what we had this year. All right, tell me the truth. If the answer is yes, I guess we'll just have to deal with it. Is it possible that 2021 could be as nutty as 2020 was? Woo, uh, yes it is, and we're oh. gonna find out just at the start of the week. Uh, you know, for those of us who pay attention to Congress, right, we have a, a new Congress convening on Sunday afternoon. Uh, as you and I are talking now, it's not clear uh, how many members are going to be able to show up. Some of them are sick. There are two seats that are going to remain vacant. Uh, it's not clear how easy it's going to be for Nancy Pelosi to get reelected as Speaker today. Um, then we have the meeting, of, the meeting of Congress on the 6th, on, on uh, Wednesday the 6th, to count the electoral votes. All kind of shenanigans expected there. Um, so it's certainly going to get off to a rocky start. What would you watch as things, as maybe we move to the middle of January, end of January, and hopefully things start to settle down and maybe get somewhere, I guess maybe there isn't such a thing as normal anymore, David. Right, so the new, gosh, what's the new normal? We're not going to have a normal inauguration. Uh, as I think everybody knows, it's going to be very de minimis. I was uh, downtown the other the other day watching them dismantle the inaugural reviewing stand. Uh, no parade. It's going to be something virtual that I don't think we know about yet. The, the, the new president is going to be sworn in on the west front of the Capitol like normal. No crowds. They're trying to discourage people from coming in. Now, that won't be normal. Um, there's a whole fight about the budget. Is, there, is President Trump going to put out his own budget before he leaves? I think the answer to that is yes. Will anybody pay attention? No. Then the new president has to come in, submit a budget. Um, what will we know is normal? I guess we'll know something's normal if, oh gosh, I don't know, man. If, if Congress adopts a budget resolution, boy, that's really pretty nerdy. Um, but maybe, and of course, as you and I are speaking now, we don't know the results, and we won't for another couple of days, of the Georgia Senate elections. We don't, won't know whether it's a Democratic Senate and therefore a Democratic Congress. Um, I guess we'll know something's normal when Joe Biden comes to give his first speech before a joint session of Congress. It's not called a State of the Union address. Will he do that? Will there be some sort of return to normalcy in the budget process? That would feel awfully, that would feel awfully good.
in a, in a weird way, if there's something normal like that. Is the overlay of, well, we have about a minute left, is the overlay yeah. of all of this, David, that people get vaccinated and life at least kind of goes somewhat back to what we remember in February, early March of 2020? Yeah, well, sure. That's the yeah, that's the big that's that's the that's the big unknown. How fast will the vaccine arrive? Um, how many different vaccines? Um, you know, the pace that they're on as we're speaking now is not nearly fast enough. I mean, a million a day sounds like an enormous number. It is an enormous number, but it's not enough to get the whole country vaccinated in anything like a return to normal in the middle of the year. Um, I'm not sure when I'll ever ride Metro again. I'm not sure when I'll ever get out of this wonderful home office that I'm in. Um, Boy, I mean, yeah, right. Getting on Metro, that would seem like a huge triumph. Yes. I'm not sure it's going to happen. All right, about 30 seconds left. Name something good that happened to you either personally or professionally in 2020. I got more exercise than I have in any year in, in my recent life because I was working from home. Uh, we actually had a really mild year, and my memory was that on even on the day the shutdown happened, uh, the, the, the COVID shutdown, March 13th, Friday the 13th, I got out on my bike. I've been out on my bike at least four times a week every every uh, every week since. It's been awesome. See, not everything in 2020 was terrible. David Hawkins, thanks very much as always. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs. By signing up for our daily program guide, you just text GovMatters to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.